Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. What's new? What's happening to you? Oh, well, let's see. I mean, I've been awake for some number of minutes. I thought you were going to uh, say, uh, you know, like days, like three days, going on three days. No, 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 What's no, the no, longest no, no. you've ever stayed awake oh, yeah, on purpose? Uh, including under the influence of stay awake drugs or just Let's Let's have, I'll have both answers, part one and two. I've probably stayed awake for... Uh, close to 36 hours, um, like unintentionally or, you know what I mean? Like just That's only a day and a half. Yeah. Just like doing stuff, uh, where I forgot to go to sleep. So like not, I'm going to stay up as long as I can just sort of, uh, whoa, shit, I've been up 36 hours. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the longest I've stayed up, like, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. It's probably where I'm just, like, toughing it out. I've got something. I missed going to sleep. I stayed up the next day, and then yeah. I realized I just got to keep going. Right. It's probably not more than 48 hours. Mm-hmm. But on drugs... I've probably gone, hmm, I don't know, maybe probably not more than three days. That's a lot, though. Well, drugs are bad. 48 hours is the type of thing where you're like, get up, you're, you've got to, you're flying to Europe, and you got to get everybody together. You say, so get up at, you know, 7 a.m., and you got to get everybody together and, get all your shit together to, to take this trip and you leave on a red eye and you get to Europe at the crack of dawn and you're, but you didn't sleep on the flight and you're right. all fucked up. But you, then you've got all this stuff to do. You got to rent a van. You got to go to the drive to Utrecht and get the gear and figure out the deal. And then you've got to drive to the show play the show and then after the show drive to the hotel and check everybody in pretty soon you're at 48 hours just without yeah, even yeah. trying but like what do you think would be a reasonable and I actually have the answer here what do you think would be a reasonable guess for how long like the record is for someone staying awake like under torture? Or no, just, just just by by choice. How long? What do you think the record would be? I don't think you can stay up for. I don't think you could stay up for four days. Could you? Yes, you very much can. Really? The easy experimental answer to this question is two hundred and sixty-four hours, which is about eleven days. No. In 1965, Randy Gardner, a 17-year-old high school student, set this apparent world record for a science fair. It says several other normal research subjects have remained awake for 8 to 10 days in carefully monitored experiments. None of them experienced serious medical, neurological, physiological, or psychiatric problems. 
On the other hand, all of them showed progressive and significant deficits in concentration, motivation, perception, and higher mental processes as the duration of sleep deprivation increased. That sounds terrible. But within one or two nights of recovery sleep, they were back totally normal. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I had a friend. So when I joined Harvey Danger, they had, they had a, um, a small staff of people, the tour manager and the sound man was a guy named fish from New York city. And that's an appropriate name for, um, for the man. Uh He was this big burly, um, long haired stoner guy. He used to work with blues traveler. I mean, he did after Harvey danger. Yeah. Do you, do you, Uh, are you a blues traveler fan? I mean, I like the blues. I like to travel. Blues Traveler. Because, you know, I, I was listening. I was listening to uh, uh, Runaround. Yeah. I guess last weekend. And I felt like, is this okay to like this song or is this like a guilty pleasure, like watching The Bachelorette or something? You know, like what, what, it, what is, where does this fit? Can you like them? Can you like that song? That whole school of Lower East Side, uh, like hippie, chuglin. Now, aren't they from New Jersey? Jam blues. Yeah. yeah. But it was like a scene over there. Yeah. Um, the little miss can't be wrong. Right. Scene. Yes. And I'm in favor of it. Okay. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not throwing it on. I, I feel like blues, like his harmonica playing is, is super exceptional, but it's also too many notes for the ear to hear. <laughs> like if you've got that kind of talent. Right. And you've got a briefcase with 40 harmonicas in it. Like you could just, you just like calm down and just play the harmonica. You yeah. Know, you don't have to like play every note in the, in the scale, but that's true of a lot of very proficient music. I mean, really good musicians that can play every note in the scale, both like guitarists and vocalists. It's a, it's a, it's very common that you hear the singers that are like, all the the, like runs and everything. Yeah. Every single note. And it's just like, you know, we know you can do it. Like save it, (laughs) save it for (laughs) just once in a while, you know? Uh, but, but I like, I mean, the thing is that once you cross the grateful dead Rubicon and you are like, I don't think it's fair to be, um, like hipster, you can't be well. And the thing is, it's not a question of fair. There are very few people that do the hipster deadhead thing, which is to say that they like the dead because of some because the dead makes it under the wire, but they don't like um, other hippie jam music. It, it does. It's it's not common. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of people that have guilty pleasures in music where they say, well, I like Britney Spears, but I don't like all the pop music or, you know, they have their one exception. But generally, if you, if you like the Grateful Dead, you, you don't, you're not throwing a bunch of pretense anymore about, oh, I like the dead, but I don't like the flying burrito brothers, whatever, you know, like you do. If you like the dead, then you're open to all, all that music, maybe all music. Right. It, there's not a ton of you don't meet a ton of deadheads who are like, oh, I don't really like that style of music. They're just it's part of the it's part of the thing. Once once the those little tendrils of Jerry's 
guitar tone get in on a, on a person mm-hmm. you're just like oh shit all of a sudden i love reggae i love like jazz so i do like the grateful dead and i like all of the associated musics about equally which is like i get i get it i like to groove i like to jam <laughs> yes dan i will even chugle uh-huh. I have never like fully hippie danced, but like I can sway. I'll sway to mm-hmm. some sure. Some groovy hippie dance thing. with a dance with a tree and then hug it. I'll I've hugged trees. Yeah, I, I pulled you over. You've told I me. I pulled over all by myself when no one was watching and mm-hmm. hugged a tree. That's the that's the right time. Because I wanted to feel it, the energy of the tree. I told my daughter to hug a tree just the other day. We were walking around. We were walking in the forest. And I said, look how old that tree is. And she was like, ew. I said, what do you mean, ew? She was like, oh, it's old. old." And I was like, that tree is really old. It's older than us both. It's older than your Nana. She was like, meh. And I said, <laughs> we're hugging this tree. You've, uh-huh. got to, you've got to touch this tree and feel its energy and let it feel your energy. And she was like. Did she so, enjoy that aspect of it or was she? She touched the tree with me. I'm not sure that she's like, at least right now, she hasn't indicated that she is built to be someone who sits head bowed, eyes closed, feeling the energy of a tree. That's not, that's not who she is exactly yet, maybe. I mean, I'll do it. I'm all about feeling the energy of a tree i'm not going to sit and do it with a group of people i'm not like let's go out and do this together and i do not want anybody to be my guide if i'm going to do it it's just between me and the tree and i I feel a little bit like that about blues traveler (laughs) between you and the tree (laughs) it's between me and the tree i mean Uh i went i went uh uh, so fish came through town and uh, fish had uh Fish was on tour with Blues Traveler, and so I I got to go like watch the show from the stage. And everybody in the band is great; they're all great players. It's great fun, grooving music. I mean, a little little bit of it of it is that I, you know, it's it's the same old family of of problems that I talk about, where I feel like maybe I don't deserve to groove, maybe I don't deserve to oh. be this to be this happy. To just like let it all go and just fly. But the 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 thing is that the other guy that was on tour with Harvey Dange, so there were a couple there were a couple of people there, some bass techs, there were, you know, there was we had a crew. But the but the merch guy was a kid by the name of Fuchis. His real name was Dennis. But somehow he'd gotten the nickname Fuchis. <laughs> F O O cheese foo cheese foo cheese foo cheese not like the foo cheese band no but no not the foo cheese foo cheese foo cheese and foo cheese was just this you know he just seemed like this <laughs> kid that was working merch on a Harvey Danger tour and you know generally the I think the philosophy of merch is like you hire a cute girl to work merch who's got a who's got a vivacious personality and you'll sell three times as much merch right. Fuchis was kind of a, <laughs> was sort of like a husky kid who didn't really talk that much. You wouldn't call him vivacious. 
who sat there selling Harvey Danger t-shirts. Who knows how many t-shirts they could have sold. But Fuchi's was the was the the seller. Anyway, Fuchi's and Fish had worked together somehow. They all when I joined the band, everybody already knew Fuchi's, but he was young. It seemed like he was very young. Anyway, we were in we were playing we we're on one leg of a tour, and the leg of the tour ended in Portland, Oregon. And the next leg of the tour started a week later in New York. And Fish said, <laughs> Hey, we've got to drive this this box truck with all of our gear, all the guitars, all the all of our equipment. We gotta drive it from Portland to um New York. And I said, Well shit. Because everybody else was like, Oh, well, we got a week off, we're gonna go home and sit around and then fly to New York. And I said, man, I'm on tour. Like, I don't want to go home and sit around for a week. That's just going to screw me up. Going to get me into, you know, like, you don't want to mess around with my, with my travel head. Because if you go home and you sit down, then you don't want to get back up and, and go again. No, definitely not. I don't want to go home. So I said, well, why don't, how, who, however much you were going to pay somebody to drive this truck across the country, why don't you just pay me? I'll drive the truck across the country. And then I'll get, I'll have the fun of, of driving the gear and I'll be in New York when you guys get there. It's not the kind of thing that most musicians on tour who are like, Oh, I just want to be home with my lady or like, uh, you know, but I didn't have anything going on in the rest of my life. I was just going to go back home and sit and get yelled at by somebody. So I was like, fucking let me do this. And Fuchi's. <laughs> so fish was like, sure. You know, 500 bucks or whatever, which was not nothing to me then. And Fuchi said, you know, hey, can I come? I was like, oh, man, I don't really want to have Fuchi's cramping my style. I was yeah, gonna I don't drive, blame you. Drive across the country, open land and just. And then he's going to be sitting there looking at you. Yeah, he's just going to be sitting there. I'm going to have to talk to Fuchi's. He's going to be looking at me. I was like, well, I don't know, man. I think it's kind of more of a solo operation. And Fish said, well, no, why don't you take Fuchi's? Because, uh, you know, I want him because the gear, it's all rental gear. And I want somebody from the company there to mind the rental gear or some shit. I don't know. Insurance or something. And I was like, all right, fine. So right after the, right after the show, in Portland, we finished at whatever, 1 a.m. We got out in the truck. And uh, and I was like, well, you know, like I'm driving. And Fuchi's was like, well, I can, you know, I can drive the first leg. You get, you just got off the stage and all this stuff. And I was like, man, no, that's cool, Fuchi's. Let me drive. <laughs> and Fish was standing there. And Fish was like, let Fuchi's drive the first leg. I was like, fucking nanny state. <laughs> Not only do I have Fuchi's along who's who seems to me to be just like a little kid but now he's driving the first leg this this whole thing has gone haywire so we drive out of portland at three o'clock in the morning i go to sleep wake up and it's like 10 a.m and we've driven up the columbia river and we're in idaho or something and i said all right well Good job driving through the night, Fuchi's. You know, you're ready to switch out. He was like, I'm fine. It's like, really? You've been driving like 
seven hours. So it's cool. All right. Sure. Let's sort of let it ride. So we start talking. We're chatting. We spend a little time together. It turns out I really like Fuji's. He's like smart, funny. He's just kind of, you know, quiet, down tempo. And, you know, he is a kid, but he's like, I dig it. I dig him. So we get to, we get to like one in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, Fuji's like pull over. Let's hand it over. And he's like, oh, I'm cool. I don't, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, well, no, you're not. Like you've, you've been driving 10 hours. You're, you're probably thrashed. Plus it's not like woke up and drive 10, 10 hours. You had a full day before because we were doing shows and stuff. Well, I'm fine. So we drive and drive and drive. We drive and drive and drive and drive. Talking and just watching the world go by. Well, at 18 hours of driving, I said, Dennis, pull over. He was like, oh, all right. I'm, I'm fine to keep going. You've, dri- you've driven 18 hours. You cannot possibly be fine. Although he was completely fine. I made him stop. So I got in the car. He went over and went to sleep on the side. Well, now the bar has been set by Dennis Fucci's at 18 hours. I'm not somebody that's going to just like, uh, when we, when you're on tour and you're driving a van, there, there are some bands. I don't know. There must be some bands where everybody splits the driving, but that was never the case in the long winters because there were a couple of people in the band that would like offer to do a driving stint and they would drive for two hours and then they'd be like, Oh man, I think I'm done. It's like, it's harder to pull over and have you drive for two hours and then switch out than it is to just not have you involved. And it ended up that me and Eric Corson did most of the driving and I did 90% of it and he did 10. Eric can, can also drive. Everybody else was no, 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 no. Sean Nelson would drive 115 miles an hour with a cigarette in one hand, fiddling with the fucking tape deck on the, with the other hand, driving the, driving the car with like his knee. A couple of times I saw him do that. And I was like, why don't you just listen to your fucking music? Do you, you don't drive with your knee when you're driving? No, I'm also smoking and fiddling with the tape deck. Yeah. I could see you with like a ukulele. No. And, uh, you know, you're steering with your knees out in the open road. I mean, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. If I'm by myself, sometimes I'll take my pants off. What? But, but I like to drive. I like to drive. I like to just drive and my mind just kind of like goes off into wonderful places. I'm just driving the road and the, I'm not alone in this. Many, many, many people feel this way. But so, so. Dennis hands me the steering wheel of the, this box truck and I've got to fucking drive through the night. I'm not going to get showed up by this little kid. Well, so I get to 12 hours of driving the following day and I'm like, you know, Dennis, I hate you for this, but like I've driven for 12 hours and I'm fine. I'm done. Like I've, I'm tired. Right. I don't want to drive anymore. He was like, Okay. You know, take over, ready to go. 
and uh, he, he drove us to New York. <laughs> so, like the entire trip from Portland to New York, we never stopped moving except to get gas. And we did the entire thing in like three legs. Mine of which mine was the shortest. His third leg was, or the third leg was the longest of them all. He just kept going and going and going. And I realized that I had met someone with a supernatural ability. You know, like interstate truck drivers, they make stop. They, they, the law requires that they pull over and take a break. Professional drivers. Right. But Dennis was a, he had a superpower, which is that apparently if his car had unlimited gasoline, he could just drive forever. He could drive for 30 hours. I have no question that he could drive for 30 hours and never lose. I mean, maybe he would gradually lose the top end of his reflexes, like interstate driving. He never got bored. He never got stiff. He never got fatigued. His eyes never, you know, like a superhuman. Yeah. And so I talked to him later years after the Harvey danger tour, because he became like a good buddy after that. Oh, also we got to New York (laughs) and we had, we had, we were there three days early, three days earlier than anyone would ever have thought we would have been able to get there. (laughs) And so we were just like, well, shit, we're in New York, I guess. I think, in fact, I think we stopped like right outside of New York in Pennsylvania at some cheap motel and just hung out in the hotel because hung out in the hotel for a day, right? Because we just, there was nobody in New York ready for us. The rental people weren't ready for us, SIR. But I talked to him later and he had turned this, he, he had never realized it either. He had never driven across the country. It was his first time. He'd never, he did not know this about himself and he parlayed it into a job like a, like a tour roadie rock and roll band dude Mm -hmm. who, who just drove and drove. He was like the magic driver, the ultimate driver of, of all time. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I still think of him as kind of Buddha like figure. Nice. Yeah. We would like to say thank you very much to Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon's mission is simple. They want to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And then that's the gist of it. And I can tell you I'm a Mac Weldon customer and I really love their stuff. This is the thing. They wanted to get more out of the basics and they always would think, how can something that's so essential, whether it's underwear, socks, like how can it suck so much? Why can it be such a pain to buy this stuff? And so this frustration became their eureka moment. This is what happened when they realized it does not have to be this way. It can be easy. And part of that is eliminating a lot of extraneous choice. There's a mind-numbing amount of underwear and socks in these department stores when you go and look at it. You know, you don't know which ones are going to fit. What is the quality going to be? They decided to take matter into their own hands. They started from scratch. They created their own fabric. And then they made sure that the design process was so meticulous that the fit will be the same every time. You take that for granted. You figure, of course, I'm going to go buy this pair of underwear and it's going to fit the same as the pair I bought six months ago. 
But it doesn't. Why? Because they don't care about quality because that's not what they're about. Mack Weldon is different. That's what they are all about. The differences in the details and they obsess over every stitch and seam. And now they have their definition of perfect. And I can tell you, it's pretty darn good. I love their stuff. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, simple shopping. And I love it because you can go there. I've got a lot of socks and underwear. And now they have some great shirts and some shorts. These are incredibly comfortable. They even have this silver underwear. I recommend when you go there, you get at least one pair of the silver underwear. This is John's favorite. They also have this in their shirts, but it makes it antimicrobial. And that means they eliminate odor. And they're so confident that you're going to love your first pair. You can keep it. They'll still refund you. If you're unhappy for any reason, no questions asked, they even let you keep that first pair. But I have a suspicion you're going to be like me and you're going to like it and you're not going to return it. Uh, but they, they have that guarantee. That's how confident they are. And I think you should go and check this out. You go to Mac Weldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com. And if you enter the promo code ROADWORK, one word, you'll get 20% off of your first order. And don't forget, these are performance clothes as well as comfortable clothes, right? You can wear them to work. You can wear them to work out. You can wear them on a date. Find out more and save 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com. Promo code ROADWORK. Thanks to Mac Weldon for making this show possible. What's the longest you've ever stayed away? You know, I was thinking about that right after I asked you. I mean, I know I stayed awake a lot in college, um, you know, where I'd skip, I'd skip one night of sleep completely and then the next night of sleep only get a, a couple hours, but that counts as sleep. So 48 hours, maybe, you know, a full, a full two days, like you wake up Monday morning, you don't sleep Monday night, you function all day Tuesday. And then maybe go to bed late Tuesday night, early Wednesday, like that. Yeah, right. but I, it was horrible. And I'm I've definitely gotten very, very little sleep over prolonged periods of time, many days or, or, or weeks where I would only be getting four or five nights, four four or five hours uh, at a time, which is ho- also horrible. Yeah. But, you know, there's people who can really push themselves that way. I always hear about, like, Navy SEALs who have to, like, lay on the beach with the, you know, the ocean splashing over them while they're keeping their arms suspended in front of them, holding up, a, you know, their machine gun. And, like, they, they have to do that for a week without sleeping. Like, I don't think it's not sleep. Like, having a our first kid... And him not sleeping through the night. I was just talking to a friend of mine. They just had their first baby. And he was saying, oh, you know, the first week has been fine. But now the baby's like cluster feeding, which for those who don't know what that means, it's it's a term used to refer to when a baby either wants to uh, feed or nurse, whatever appropriate word I should use, constantly. Yeah, where they cluster feed right like where where it's not like they had a little milk and then they go to sleep it's like they keep wanting it or they wake up every 30 minutes or they want it for three hours four hours at a time he's like oh so we're just not getting sleep i'm like dude i totally i can totally hear where you're coming from like my first kid i don't think he fully was sleeping through the night every night on a regular basis until he was at least two or three years old 
And the first year would like every night we're waking up in the night. Do you ever cluster feed? Dan? No, not anymore. I don't know That's if not- I even did when I was a little kid. Who wants to do that? Me. Jesus, yeah. are you kidding me? There are times when it's just Breastfeeding like, you're talking about? No, no. I'm talking about like still hungry, still hungry, still hungry, <laughs> still hungry, still hungry, still hungry, still hungry. I mean, there are certain substances that can cause you to feel that way. Like I was just in Colorado, but I mean, it's not like milk. I don't drink milk. Do you drink milk? Do you still drink milk? I bet you anything you were one of those kids that would have milk on the table at dinner. That would be like your dinner drink. Betting money on it. Uh, Eight, only, eight-year-old John, what mm, are you having for dinner? We're having spaghetti, meatballs, and here's your glass of milk. I think actually in the 70s, it was Tang, if I could get it. Really? If I could get Tang, <laughs> I would take Tang over anything. I don't think I've ever had Tang. What? I don't think tang. I've ever tasted Tang. Tang Maybe is... Maybe as an uh, experiment once, but I don't recall it. It's for astronauts. Yeah. No, I, I remember it. We've talked about Tang, but I'm positive we've talked about Tang. Yeah, it's important stuff. I'm gonna, hold on. I'm, I'm pulling up my notes here. I don't see it. Sure, we've talked about Tang, though. You have notes that would indicate at a glance yes. whether or not we had talked about Tang? Yeah. Wow. Yes. I'm looking for my notes and I don't see that. I know we've talked about it. I know we've talked about Tang. I'm pretty sure that I used Tang as cover art for an episode of a show once. Sure it was Tang? Well, in any case, Tang Tang was what I had until Crystal Light arrived. Yeah. Oh, I had a lot of Crystal Light as a kid. My mom was a big uh, crystal light. Yeah, everyone was. Everyone was. But I didn't like it. I didn't want it. Uh, Crystal light tasted like aspartame to me or something. Yeah, that's what it was. I believe in crystal light because I believe in me. Yeah, I didn't want it, but my but my mom was had crystal light going just flowing out of out of a fountain in our living room. (laughs) Yes, it was was so easy to make. You could make a whole pitcher. Of crystal light with just a little spoonful of this little powder. You just add that to water, you're done. All the kids in the neighborhood can visit and drink the te- the crystal light all day long. And that was just pure chemical. That was it. Well, right. And the thing about Tang is really easy to make, but it's pure sugar. Oh, no. You know what my drink was? It was Lipton instant iced tea. We've talked about this. But that didn't come till later. When I... When I was in seventh grade, I discovered Lipton iced tea, and uh, and I I definitely feel like we've talked about our Lipton iced tea. I think so. Yeah, I'm looking because you know we don't want God forbid we repeat ourselves ever. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I don't think we have. What do you, I mean, Lipton, I see the, the, the powder that you add to water. Yes. Yeah. So somehow I, somehow I discovered Lipton iced tea, powdered iced tea. And, um, it, and, and it was exactly what my taste receptors wanted. 
right? Uh-huh. My dad drank tab. My mom drank crystal light. I didn't re- tab tasted like aspartame. Crystal light did too. I didn't want those things. I wanted pure natural cane sugar, but I didn't want like orange pop. I didn't want, you know, pop was too, too much, but iced tea. Oh, so refreshing. So lemony. And what I didn't realize was that this Lipton iced tea was full of sugar and also full of caffeine. And in seventh grade, I actually had my own canister of it. Like when we'd go to the grocery store, I would make sure that if we had one of these for the the kitchen, I also had my own, which I kept in the downstairs bathroom so that I could make glasses of iced tea of my own in my own in my own space, my own kitchen, which was basically just a bathroom because I didn't need a kitchen because all I needed was a spoon and a glass. Mm-hmm. And I just drank that stuff like crazy. Uh, iced tea all day. And it was only later, <laughs> I think, that I realized <laughs> that I was just completely jacked up on on sugar and iced tea caffeine all day, just like chugging this stuff. Because I was back in the day when I didn't, I don't think anybody fully understood nutrition. No. You know, I remember when there, right, there was no comprehensive perspective of nutrition. It was like, we hear this thing can make you sick. So don't have that. Th- too right. much of this will make you fat. So don't eat that. It was not like a, there was no like perspective on it. It was all little one-off things that, that would periodically come out. And then everything in the grocery store would now say low fat. And then, well, you have to eat low fat. Or, yeah, right. Or then it's like polyunsaturated fats. Right. No, it's the fish oil. But this was like early on. You may be, this may be a generation gap thing uh, between you and me because you are younger than I am. You probably don't remember a time before nachos. No, I remember I, pre-nacho times. You remember pre-nachos? Are you sure? Yeah, I remember that. All right. Maybe all they right. just took a long time to get to Pennsylvania or something. But Yeah, that's probably true. People were like, can I put shaved meat on it? That's my I remember going. Yeah, I I remember going to the movie theater and you know how they'd have those terrible bumpers uh, that that would, you know, precede. They were after the previews and before the movie, there'd be the stupid roller coaster going through and, and encouraging you to go and buy, you know, concessions out in the concession area. Yeah, of course. The one that I went to, I remember being a little kid and they showed what I now know to be nachos. And for those who don't know what, you know, I'm sure we have Australian listeners that never heard of nachos. They have nachos in Australia. They just make them with like chips made out of, I don't know, corn or pine needles or something. Well, nachos, you should have your chips and, uh, and then you have on top of it melted cheese. You've got olives. You can have sour cream and salsa. You can have jalapenos if you're adventurous i had never seen this before and this this would show up in a, one of those pictures in the roller coaster and i was like what is, what is that crap it looks horrible why would you put all that over chips like salsa okay uh-huh. but the rest of that was like what is this nonsense and then i found out that was a, a thing i probably was four okay like a hor- yeah. horrific. 
Yeah. Just well, have popcorn like a normal person. It would be horrific to a four-year-old. Yeah. Now I can tell you it's not bad. Uh, nachos? No. Yeah. They're, they're generally considered pretty good. But, but there was a time, and it will be hard for our younger listeners to fully understand this, but there was a time when chicken was being promoted as health food. Right. Because it isn't, because beef is bad and pork is bad. So chicken is the new, like, because people didn't eat chicken. My mom, my mom felt <laughs> like chicken. Unless it was, you know, fried and it well, came even, from KFC. Even fried chicken was just like fried chicken. What are we like? Are we farm people? Is right, this but, like Sunday dinner on the farm? Okay. I agree with you. When I moved to Florida, that's when I kind of discovered fried chicken. Yeah. But my attitude about fried chicken was always, look, we know chicken's horrible. We know it's virtually tasteless, but we have to do something to get people to want to eat it. And so first they tried doing the fried chicken thing that failed because then it turned out that was bad for you. And then they had this whole thing where they said, well, we'll have to, if we say that beef is bad and pork is bad, then they'll only have one place to go. And they'll think they'll start thinking chicken is good. And eventually it'll be mainstream enough that people will actually choose chicken over one of the healthy and and good for you foods. (laughs) I I think, I think from my mom's retelling of her marriage to my dad, you know, because they were married during the the go-go madmen years of the late 50s, early 60s, when everybody was really, they all dressed really nicely and women wore gloves on airplanes and men never didn't have a tie on. But she said they ate meat and by meat she meant steak, lamb chops, pork chops, um, Maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that she would, she would eat liver, but my dad wouldn't. Um, they ate at every meal. They would have steak or lamb chops or pork chops at every meal. Right. And to eat chicken, that was like picnic food. Like you would not have, you wouldn't, I mean, I, I guess. What about I chicken guess, chicken salad sandwich? Was that like you're going on a picnic? Would you take yeah, that? Yeah, picnic. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think they would have like, you could have a, an entire chicken for a roast chicken at dinner, I guess, uh, sometimes. But it was not like, it wasn't as, it did, it, it was only in my lifetime that it became the kind of ubiquitous, like protein that you just throw into things, you know. Slice chicken in a salad, chicken teriyaki, chicken this, chicken that. It's all chicken and everything. And I remember when it happened because the world had turned against beef and <laughs> and pork. Right. And chicken was white meat. White mm-hmm. meat. Mm-hmm. It was the first white meat. You know, pork came along later and was like, we're the other white meat. And everybody was like, ha, 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 lol. But the original white meat, chicken, and because it was white, it must be good because it didn't have color in it. And color is what gives you heart problems like blood. 
And so people, myself included, would order things like chicken fettuccine in a heavy cream. That sounds terrible. Or chicken, like breaded chicken with gravy. And they would congratulate themselves because they were eating healthy. We had no idea. We had just no idea what was going on. And I mean, what, like the, the USDA had the food pyramid, which said you needed to eat X number of vegetables, grains and whatever. But the, the food pyramid in 1979 looked different than it does now. <laughs> yeah. And also <laughs> it just seemed like a weird thing. It was a, like a weird graphic, like kind of like it is now you look at it and you're like, what am I supposed to do now? I'm supposed to eat how much of what? Exactly. That seems weird. Doesn't seem like I'm going to eat that many nuts. But then if you're living if you're if you're living in a world where you're where you have like canned peas, a pork chop and some pears, like like canned pears for dinner every night, it's a little weird to think um think in terms of a food pyramid and certainly I ate chicken as though it were health food covered in gravy you know, breading, sugar, right? Until well into the nineties, before, like it finally, finally trickled down to me that, um, that nutrition was more complicated than that. It's still, it's still too complicated for me. Nutrition, I still don't understand it completely. Yesterday, I ate. What did I eat yesterday? I, I had a hamburger. I wasn't there. How am I supposed to know what you ate? I had a hamburger, and then I had another hamburger. Is that like it's, in one in one sitting you had the one and then the other, or you're saying you had that earlier in the day and later in the day? Yeah, I had a hamburger at lunch, and then I had a hamburger at dinner. I do that, that a lot of the time. Do you? You have a hamburger at lunch and a hamburger yeah, at dinner? Yeah, I do. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that makes me feel great. I mean, that's I, little, I, I wouldn't say six days a week, but a, at least a couple days a week. I was a little bit ashamed. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not all eating the bun necessarily both times. Right. I don't eat a lot of carbs. No, but as I far as beef, like, I mean, I, I hope I, a bad day is a day where I haven't had any beef. Heard that dog, you know? Now, speaking of beef, you have been uh, over the last week sending me lots of texts lots of missives i'm trying to engage from, with you well i know i know dan interface with you and it's working see it do you feel the intimacy <laughs> yes yes super close but you've been sending me these things from america's own mile high city yes denver colorado yeah i went beef, to Den- i was in denver last week beef town we call it beef town i didn't no. i did have beef there and i had plenty of burgers there Mm-hmm. Because it's that it's one of those high plains towns. It's the it's the town. Yeah, it's the town that the that the plains wash up against the mountains and everything <laughs> on the, all the foam and all the driftwood. It all piles up in Denver. And can I can I repeat for the people listening what you told me about uh, about Denver before I went there? Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to get a lot of angry letters. I bet from Coloradans. Well, 
we uh, we recorded a show the week prior and released it at the beginning of last week and didn't record last week because I was going to be out of town. So we shifted our sponsors and our schedule and the things around a little bit so we could do one. And, uh, and so that freed up my week, at least that, that I was able to re-record or pre, pre-record rather all the shows It let me out and let me be free to, to go and explore Colorado. And I've only been to Colorado one time. It was for like a, um, like a, we, I was telecommuting for my job and every few months they would pull us all together, the people on the team who were all telecommuting to go and have a wonderful togetherness time somewhere. And our boss at the time loved to travel. So he was always picking really cool places to go. And, you know, he was also sort of budget conscious. So he wanted us to go to Telluride because he'd been to Telluride and he said, well, we'll just, this will be one of our destinations and we'll go in the off season where it's more affordable. And it was great. I mean, I didn't, we didn't ski, but we did go and do some, uh, some hiking and climbing. And we also went in these little Jeeps, that took us way up high on top of the mountains, you know, 9,000, 10,000 feet up, which was very fun. But that was my only experience in Colorado was just that, you know, four or five days many years ago. So I had a, I had a couple of good reasons to go to Colorado this time. And it took me to Denver and, uh, and I spent the day in Boulder. But before I went, you said, oh, why can't you record next week, Dan? I said, well, I'm going to, uh, going to Colorado. And you said, oh yeah, where are you going? I said, Denver, maybe a day Mm. in Boulder. And you said, well, you know, and I I want want to quote you correctly. I think you said Denver's kind of a hole. No, you didn't say kind of. Denver's really a hole. Oh, is what you said. Oh boy. And I said a hole and you said, yeah, he said, really it's just a hole. And you went on to describe what you didn't like about it. And then, then you said also there's the horrible brown cloud that's always there with the pollution swirling around. It can't get past the poor mountains that are there and the Mm -hmm. trees you once could hug and can't anymore. And yeah. Yeah. And you said, well, Boulder, now that's all right. I've spent time in Boulder. I like that. I said, okay, well, and you said, and then I said that you did, you said you, you, you like, you kind of like Boulder and you spent lots of time in Boulder. Uh, You said that. And then, uh, then you said, well, you've, but you've been, you know, all this, you've been there before. Right. And I said, no, this is my first time. You said, oh, you're going to love Denver. You're going to love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. the whole time I was there, I kept sending you pictures of the beautiful city and the clear mm-hmm. skies. And uh, and I kept saying, where's the hole? I'm looking for the, the, the hole that is Denver and looking for the brown cloud. And all I see is beautiful sky and lovely mountains. And yeah, had a, had a very nice time there. It's a nice town. Yeah. I mean, Well, I was giving you the business a little bit, assuming that like Denver. So the problem is, I I, I, can't I mean, I didn't that, I didn't see every square inch of Denver. Oh no! You know there are there were lots of parts of it I didn't see. I'm sure that there are parts that are not nice. It's a big town. It sprawls. Yeah. Um. So, coming from Alaska yeah. in the ni- in the 1980s, it was. I don't know why this was. But a lot of the kids that I went to high school with went to college in Arizona, Arizona State, University of Arizona. A lot of kids from Anchorage go to Arizona colleges. They're party schools. They're in the sun. It just feels like there's a kind of weird Alaska, Arizona Mm. pipeline. 
But even more than that, there is an Alaska, Colorado connection. Okay. Um, it just feels, even if you've never been to Colorado, if you're in Alaska and you're looking at the United States and trying to figure out like, wow, if I go to the United States, what's it going to be like? Like, where would I go? For those of us from Alaska who did not want to go to Arizona or Florida, who didn't want to just like throw ourselves into some completely alien thing. Right. Colorado feels right. It looks right. It seems right. You're saying it, it, if, if you were to be transplanted to Colorado, that it, it has a similar feel to Alaska? Well, it doesn't. But from Alaska, you think that's a place I'm going to be comfortable. There okay. are mountains. There are a lot of sports. Oh, there are okay. a lot of, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's the West. Like it, it, uh, because coming from Alaska, even though everybody up there is really bold, there's a lot of anxiety about the United States interacting with the lower 48 mm -hmm. and you know, you're going to go down there and Seattle is so busy and it's so full of different people and such freak scene like Anchorage is a complete freak scene, but it feels manageable because it's, con it's contained. It's, you know, like you can Anchorage is just big enough that you don't have to see the same people every day. But it's it's small. It's small enough that you can you feel like even in the even in the weirdest places you still feel like well we're all Alaskans. Whereas you go down to Seattle and it's like there are like vampires and people with 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 bad magic and machines. <laughs> and, um, whereas Colorado just and especially growing up in the seventies and eighties where you had this picture of Colorado that kind of came out of that a little bit of Hunter S Thompson, a little bit yeah. of like Vale, just this. And, and Boulder at the time was a hippie college paradise. It was not a wealthy place. It was just hippie flop houses. And, and, uh, Denver was, was not a thriving city at the time. And it just felt like, Oh, you can go to Colorado and you'll be safe. So a lot of people I know went to Colorado. My sister went to college there in Durango, Colorado. But when I was 17 and headed off on my great big adventure crossing the U.S. for the first time, uh, I didn't go to college, and I was headed out to see America. I really headed toward Colorado. I knew, no matter what else, that I was going to Colorado. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get on my motorcycle and drive to California which would have been the logical thing to do. I bought a I bought this motorcycle in Yakima, filled it up with gas, tightened the chain, and said, "I'm I'm off." And I didn't go to California. I went to Colorado. Um, and I got there, and I spent a lot of time there. I turned eighteen in Colorado. Um, I went to jail for the first time in Colorado. Went to the went to jail for the second time in Colorado. <laughs> for what? Um, oh, it was just some trumped up burglary charge. <laughs> really? Yeah, they were just trying to make an example of me. Yeah. Uh, but I spent ten days in in jail in Boulder, the Boulder <laughs> jerks, Boulder, Boulder Boulder County Correctional. They threw the book at me. Ten days. I was eighteen. 
and like 11 days, 18, that sucks. 18, 18 years old and 11 days. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it wasn't the first time I went to jail. If you count juvie, I had been to juvenile jail, but I had never been to jail jail. And boy, let me tell you, I was the youngest person in that jail because I was only 11 days over the line. Right. Pretty fun. Pretty good education. Um, but I, but the thing about Colorado is it's not like Alaska. It's, um, you know, it's like dry ground. It's dry air. It's, uh, it's, you know, a pine needle floor. Whereas at least my part of Alaska is like, it's, it's wet ground. It's, um, it's like cold tropical rather than high mountain. And, um, and so it's, a. I mean, the skiing is way better because you got this fluffy snow and, and the, you know, the culture is fun. You've got your, your lightning bolts and, and, uh, in the afternoon and big rainstorms and then sun, it's sunny and warm even in the winter there. Uh, but at the time Denver was, was on the skids mm. and Boulder was kind of a little, little town up to the North and golden was, there's nothing in golden. They were still, they were still like making nuclear bombs or, or hiding them in the desert up there. Like it was like Stapleton airport was still a thing. It was a different time. And I got acclimated to a kind of Colorado, a universe of Colorado. Um, and then, and then the world started to change and it really started to change there in Denver and Boulder. Uh, and the environs, like the cities connected. It you, it used to be when you headed out to Boulder from Denver, you would leave Denver and you'd just be driving in the country, driving in the country where you would like see some lights off in the distance mm-hmm. of a distant farmhouse type of country, just like a road going up and down, up and down through fields where there was nothing. And then you would start to see off in the distance, the lights of Boulder. Well, now there is no difference between Denver and Boulder. You leave Denver and you're just in Denver and then you're, and then you pass a sign that says like, welcome to Boulder. Mm -hmm. Like the city grew that much and it's a thriving place, but also like that, that, that feeling that I got then that I was trying to communicate to you, which was that everything from the Mississippi that headed West, every single thing that headed west Mm -hmm. from the Mississippi got to that front range and stopped because those mountains were so gnarly to get over. And then whether south or north, all that driftwood just started to migrate to the center, which was Denver. You know, it's the biggest town on that front and it's every single horse thief and um, like broken down gold panner and three wheeled covered wagon. They all ended up there, and it and it gives that it gives that city that vibe, even though it's all glossy and and techy and groovy now, and a lot of rich, healthy people with rosy cheeks. I just see the ghosts of three wheeled covered wagons everywhere there. And I, and I feel it in the, I feel it in the, um, like the, 
ghost soul of the place. Mm. You can mountain bike all around it. I don't care. There's always going to be something really dirty at the, in the heart of Denver. And when we were on tour in the early days of tour, we would play a venue there called the lion's lair. Um, and this was even after we were doing well everywhere else. Um, even after we were doing well in Denver, we still played the lion's lair because my booking agent had a thing for it. Hmm. He felt like it was a, a thing he had to do. Play the lion's lair. Okay. Now the lion's lair is the grottiest club. One of the grottiest clubs along with Gabe's Oasis. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a whole constellation of grotty clubs across America, but the lion's lair is a club that if you, it's the type of club where you don't want to touch the microphones. Mm hmm. Not just because they might shock you because they're ungrounded, but also because there's like food particles in them. I mean, the lion's lair is, and the <laughs> thing is, honestly, now they may have gl- glitzed it up and it's like a, it's a bar full of craft cocktails and mustache peats. But at least all through the 2000s when we were going there to play, the long winners have only canceled two shows in our entire history, two shows. And that, and that includes like all the shows that we played when I was really sick. The other guys never get sick, but I get really sick. We play shows where I had, I was running 102 fever. We had a show oh, one God, time. How where do you do that? I just do it. Just do it. Cause you get on stage and the, and your power comes, you just play through your sickness. But then at the end of the show, I would collapse in a heap. I played a show one time where my, nose started just like bleeding just blood pouring out of me and just kept on playing i mean and not didn't i didn't start nose bleeding for some like weird reason i i mean the weirdest reason of all i was so sick my nose started bleeding so sick because i'm vulnerable to sick well we all we all are aren't we well no but i'm like i get sick i get really sick Played a show where I, bar- I went and barfed behind the amps. Sean Nelson barfed behind the amps one time too. But it was because he was singing so hard. He actually made himself throw up. But anyway, we've only canceled two shows. One was in Aarhus, Denmark. And the tour routing had taken us all around Europe. We'd been down to Spain. We'd been up to Sweden and Norway. We'd been over. We went to Dresden. And we'd gone down to Zagreb and played a show and we came from Zagreb and played the next night in Innsbruck. And then the, then there was a drive day and the next show was in Aarhus, Denmark. And then the tour was over and we were in Innsbruck and we had to fly out of, uh, Brussels and I was like, we're going to drive to Denmark tonight from Austria for one show. And we'd been looking at this tour routing the entire tour. Like, okay, and then we got to get 
So you gotta play Barcelona, and then we gotta drive all night because we gotta get up to St. Gallen or whatever. We're just you know putting it together. And we were in England for a time. And we had to you know plan those ferry trips and all this. You know it was complicated. It was always complicated. But this Innsbruck to Aarhus drive, and then immediately leave the Aarhus show and drive to Brussels to to fly home to like cash out, turn everything back in, take the van back, take the gear back and fly home. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? There's no show in the world that's worth that. Like that's, and, and it this does, was after, does sound extraordinarily difficult to make. This work. was like after, after like a two month tour, like we had played everywhere, every, every bump in the road. And I really wanted to play Aarhus, but I called our booking agent. I was like, how many tickets have you sold to this show in Aarhus? And he was like, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, we're, we're hoping for a lot of walk up. And I was like, just tell them that, just tell them that we can't come. I, we just can't, I can't drive 14 hours to play a show and then drive 14 more hours. Just like, let's just shut it down. The last show of the tour, let's just shut it down. Cause everybody was thrashed. And he was like, that's fine. No one will be mad. I'm sure there might even be somebody listening to this program that's like, I'm mad. I was in Aarhus that night. <laughs> they were the one. They were the, that was the my one waiting. One, uh, my one chance to see the long winters. And <laughs> right. I never came back. And that was that was when we were in that in that era where it was like, well, we'll come play Aarhus three months from now. And we never did. But the only other show we ever canceled was we had left Minneapolis at the again at the end of an enormous tour a tour that just had taken us everywhere we were completely beat up and we'd played this really sort of triumphant show in Minneapolis and we were headed home and you know home if you leave Minneapolis and you're looking to go to Seattle there are things you can do you you could maybe play a show in Montana although it's not really very productive in the whole great state of Montana. There just aren't that many, at least there didn't used to be like indie rock, um, strongholds. You could go play my friend Bueno's record store in Bozeman, but, and we often would stop in Bozeman and stay with Bueno and we wouldn't even play a show there. So we're leaving and the, we have one last show. I mean, you could go to Lincoln, Nebraska or whatever, but usually you play those shows on the way out. Anyway, one last show and it's at the Lion's Lair in Denver. And we leave Minneapolis and we're, we're driving, driving, driving down through Iowa. And we're all like, oh, all we have to do is this is one more show and then we're done. And we're, it's just driving home. We just got to do this one more show at the Lion's Lair. <laughs> Fucking lion's lair, and we we at the lion's lair like I almost like got lions into it. plural or a lions possessive, like uh, the lions, lions lair or all the lions lair. This is the no, lions just, lair, just the one lion. Okay, it's the possessive lion. <laughs> I you know like I have a, it's not unusual. Well, not that's not how I would put it. There have been a few occasions on tour where I have almost gotten into a fight with someone at the club for some reason, either someone working at the club 
for instance, a couple of different times, let's say in Atlanta and San Diego, San Diego, I almost came to blows with the sound man. Um, there have been some shows where I almost came to blows with the, someone in the audience. I, I haven't really come to very many blows, but you know, touring is hard and there are a lot of assholes in the world. But the lion's lair is a, is a place where like the guys in my band almost got into a fight with another band out in front of the lion's lair. Like that's how dark the energy is there. Mm. I mean, the guys in my band have never been in a fight with anybody. And they're like in some tussle with some band out front about whose mic stand is whose crazy. So we're driving and we're just like the lion's lair. We're driving through Iowa and we're just like, just got to get this one show at the lion's lair and then we're home. (laughs) And we're just all thinking about loading into the lion's lair. We're thinking about playing this show at this stage. That's like basically behind the bar. And I, I'd never done it before. Cause this was, I think before the Aarhus, I picked up the, picked up my little flip phone and I called our booking agent. I was like, what if, we canceled the show at the lion's lair. And he said, you want to cancel the show? I was like, what if I'm just saying, what if, what would happen? We've never canceled the show. <laughs> right. For, for any, that's reason. pretty, that's pretty remarkable track record though. Well, it was just, it's part, it was part of our work ethic. Like what the, why would you cancel the show? Like, yeah, you're sick. You could just play, give them the, give them the sick show. <laughs> Some of the best shows I ever played. I was sick. We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace. Turn your cool idea into a new website, showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business. And my friends just use this to announce their baby. Before that, another couple friends I have that use it to announce their wedding. And of course, lots and lots of restaurants are using it for their menus. Lots of people are using this for their resumes, their CVs, as you would say in, uh, in other countries. This is the way to go. If you need to build a website, you can sell stuff with their powerful e-commerce platform. You can use these beautiful templates that you can modify and customize and create and make your own without having to do any HTML or CSS, just sliding little sliders and clicking buttons. And now you can even buy domains. They have over 200 domain name extensions available right there. So when you're creating your Squarespace site, you can get a domain or just get the domain. They've got built-in SEO nothing to patch or upgrade, 24-7 customer support. You're getting the idea. They do it all, and they make it incredibly easy. So go to squarespace.com, squarespace.com slash roadwork. Make sure to do the slash roadwork. That's what supports the show. That lets them know that you're listening. Just going there lets them know that you support the show, and, uh, and it means a lot to us. But once you're there, go sign up for a free trial. And when you're ready to sign up, the offer code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK, will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website. And like I said, they've got domain names too. If all you want is a domain name, why not try using Squarespace for it? Same promo code ROADWORK will save you 10% off your first purchase of the domain as well. So go check it out. And we sure do appreciate the ongoing support of Squarespace. And, and, and you know, you get a flat tire, you, you just solve those problems. But Centromatic one time, the transmission fell out of their van and they hired a flatbed truck, put the van up on the flatbed. They all climbed in the van 
riding on the flatbed and the flatbed brought them over the mountains and to the venue to play the show. You fucking play the show. But, but, but my agent, Matt Hickey said, uh, Oh, you don't have to play the show. I was like, but, but if we cancel it, like, is it going to be, are there going to be bad vibes? Are people going to be upset? He was like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's the lion's lair. You don't have to play it. You want to cancel the show? Cancel it. And I was like, could, could we, could we, could we really, could we just cancel the lion's lair show? Oh yeah. It's done. It's all he had to say. And I was like, do it. Pull the trigger. Cancel it. And I hung up the phone and I t- turned to the guys because I'd been kind of whispering it, you know, and they were all sleeping and listening to their headphones. And I was like, guys, I just canceled the Denver show. And they were like, whoa, awesome. And we, we actually got to the next interchange and, cha- and, and took a right instead of taking a left. Mm-hmm. That must have now, felt so good. Yeah. Now we were no longer going to Denver. We were going to Seattle. We were taking the other road. And it was just like, oh, we couldn't. We were, we were singing the whole way because, because then – it doesn't matter because even the the most incompetent driver in the van will do a stint if you think all we have to do is just keep driving and then we'll be home. And this is how bands often get into to bad car accidents because they're all completely fatigued and it's just like we just got to keep going because why would we stop now and get a hotel room and spend eight hours of our lives sitting asleep when we could spend that eight hours in motion right, and be home eight hours sooner. And you can, I mean, you can drive from Minneapolis to Seattle with four people trading off. You can, you can do that in what feels like a manageable amount of time. Or you barely need to stop the car. Just got to get gas. Right. Got to get gas and go in and get some fried chicken from that's, the hot case. That's right. Get some Gatorade to both drink and then have somewhere to pee. Mm-hmm. Pee, pee right in the Gatorade bottle when you're done. Oh, pee right Why in the stop? Gatorade bottle. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep rocking. I mean, every once in a while, somebody's got to go poo. And then do that in the tang container. You try not, try not to do that in the tang container. <laughs> but, uh, but so Denver, so I've got a very, I've got a very strong relationship with Denver. It seems like. My sister went to school there. I, I, been there a bunch Let's of see, times. That's why I don't understand why you're so down on it. You've had amazing there. life experiences there. You know, I'm also down on Anchorage and Seattle, both places. No, you are not down on Seattle. I'm pretty down on not Seattle. Really? Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. I'm not going to move to Denver. I don't want to move to LA. I'd live All in Colorado people. in a heartbeat. It's it's I, it's just it's a lot like Austin. It's not yeah. weird. It is a lot like Austin. But it's Bigger. not it's not weird. Their barbecue. I went to I went to what was I was told was one of their best barbecue places. And I won't say the name of it because all that will do will be cause people to email and tweet me to say, whoever told you that was an idiot. That's the worst barbecue place in Denver. Please, please next time go here and please don't radar. It doesn't matter. I ate some really good barbecue there and it was very good. It wasn't Mm -hmm. quite as good as Central Texas barbecue. (laughs) But that's a hard, hard standard to to meet. Yeah. But it, you know, it had a lot of what Austin has, plus it had mountains, plus until 11 o'clock, even in the middle of summer, it's in beautiful weather in 60s and 70s. 
I moved there. I would move there in a heartbeat. The incredible thing about it is that the that in February and March you have beautiful days right. where the temperatures in the high 60s. Yeah, I was talking to a, a uh, one of the meetings I had. The guy lived had been I think he'd been there for 30 some odd years. Yeah. And uh and I was asking him I'm like how bad is the snow in the, in the winter and he says, "Well, you know, he's like I live about 30 minutes outside of Denver at 8,000 feet. He's like we'll get some snow." He's like, "But yeah. there's a lot of years that there's not much snow and it's not it's not brutal, you know, like people think that that part of Colorado, anyway, is 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 the same as the mountains, and apparently, it's very different. It is. It's different. It's different. It's a. It's wonderful, but. And now, and, and you know, Austin is another town that's got a lot of ghosts of three wheeled covered wagons littering <laughs> the litter, littering the ground. Yeah. And Austin's done everything it can to exorcise those ghosts yeah. and replace it with chrome and and. Uh, you know, and stapled on plastic bits. Yeah. I don't know what the hell Austin was thinking, it, but you know, commerce, but now, Den- Denver, ugh. I was going to say, you say co- Colorado, Colorado. I've, I've noticed like instead yeah. of Colorado, is there a right and wrong way to say it? Or is that just simply a regional dialect? Colorado, Colorado. And you say Colorado. Colorado, 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 not Colorado, Colorado. Oh, I see. Colorado is what you're saying. Colorado, Colorado. not Colorado. Oh. Both now sound wrong to me. Colorado. Uh, I don't know. We always said Colorado. It was uh, maybe they maybe it's pronounced Colorado. I don't know. That just seems Colorado just seems like the name of some kind of Chevrolet. I was Chevy, w- Chevy Colorado. I've recommended that you watch. The Untold History of the United States on Netflix, yeah. which is a um, Oliver Stone. Say what you want about Oliver Stone. This is a really good documentary series. It's I think, you know, it's got 10 or 12 episodes and they're probably around half an hour each. And he explores pretty much what led up to World War Two through World War Two through relative modern days. He talks about all the presidents and war and things that it's a fascinating documentary series i recommend if if that's the kind of thing people are interested in but at one point during this and so i guess this is in maybe a clip from like the 40s they're playing they're talking about iowa but they call it and the, the people like in the doing the news cast say iowa uh-huh. iowa have you ever heard that pronunciation iowa yeah what's the story on that is that the way you say it? No. <laughs> um, I I wonder whether so. There's the there's the Mid Atlantic accent, mm-hmm. which has its own way of of saying things, and which always regarded the West. You remember that famous New Yorker cover where it where it's a picture of the United States, and it starts in it starts in Brooklyn, and it has all of Manhattan, and then across the Hudson river. It's sort of like, and here be dragons. And then there's LA in the far distance. Yeah. That sort of thing. But also like, uh, that feels a little bit like something from like the Tom mix era of Westerns where, uh, where they would say like, I away as a, as a sort of, um, colloquialism Mm. that maybe didn't really, that didn't really translate. You know, there are people that say Oregon. 
No. No one says, no one is saying that, except you right now. Well, I don't know. You're trying to, this is called inception. You're trying to plant a thought in my mind. Oregon. So that I'll have some kind of confirmation bias where I'll hear it. Oregon. Iowa. Colorado. 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 I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to hear uh, from all in the somewhere in the fourth or fifth paragraph of all the emails I'm going to get from Coloradans saying blah, blah, blah about Denver and Brown Cloud, Mm -hmm. which apparently doesn't exist anymore. I didn't see it. Well, I I was looking up the whole time looking around. Where is it? Well, the thing is, you can't see the Brown Cloud from below. You have to see it from above. Well, I showed you that picture, right? I was looking right toward the cloud. But you know, if you're in LA and you look up in the in the sunny sky, it looks sunny. It's only yeah. when you're flying in from it with a jet that you're like, "Whoa!" I flew Whoa, in and out. Like I didn't see anything like that into Denver. Yeah. Well, the new airport's so far away. Oh, that's why. I knew there would be some kind of reason why I wouldn't have seen it. You can't see it when you look up. You can only see no. it when you're flying in, unless you're flying right. into Denver's airport because that's just too far. Well, you know, they moved the airport. They <laughs> built well. a new they built a new airport and FEMA put a underground city in it. Now I, do, I have world government. Yes, I have heard about that and I was told by several people that I should look for it. Did you look for the I uh, did, for the, for the mural? I, I did see the murals and yeah. I took pictures of the murals and the murals are bizarre. Um, they are very very strange. And yeah. the fact that I saw the murals confirmed for me that there is an underground just the fact that anyone who would put a mural there like that would also have built a secret underground base sure. for reptilians but or archons sorry you find the little circle in the floor right there's like a there's like a compass point yes circle in the floor and that's that points you to the secret level right. that i didn't i didn't door. have time to do much more than just that it's very exciting uh but the mural was very, it was unnerving. It was a strange decision. It does not seem like a thing that you would put in a big airport. <laughs> or anywhere for that matter. I mean, it seems like the type of thing you might see spray painted on the side of an abandoned building in the center of town. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, weird. It was weird. Yeah, it's weird. But, but uh, uh, the, what I'm telling you is all of Denver is weird. It's built on a, it's built on a, on a foundation of weirdness. Hmm. They've cleaned it up, Dan. It. They've gussied it up. They've had John Elway or whatever, you know, like made it all, made it all fresh. Mm -hmm. It's Elway's fault. But there's something dark. There's something dark there. It's not, it's not dark. It's not, there's, there are lots of cities where there's something dark. Denver doesn't have that. It's that there's something weird. It's just weird. It's it's weird. 